Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Lashar Binkley. I'm a co-host of Rocket Fuel Podcast. And on today's show, we are joined by Mark Schindler. He is a guy that has been, he's everywhere. He covers the WNBA. He's actually a writer for the WNBA. He covers all things NBA throughout the season. He writes for several different uh, publications. So he is very knowledgeable on all things NBA and also WNBA. So it should be a great show. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you aren't already. We have a new YouTube channel. So definitely make sure you check it out because we're going to have more great guests, hopefully, former players we're going to have on this offseason, more draft experts, and of course, any draft press conference that comes out uh, after the Rockish uh, draft, which is happening in less than a month. We would definitely have the entire full um, draft coverage here on the Rocket Fuel podcast. So hopefully, you enjoy the show. And like I said, make sure you subscribe and like the channel. Got to get it in. Dustin Smith. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! He got it! We are here to fuel your Rockets news. It's Rockets Fuel Podcast, and I'm your co-host, LaShar Binkley. Of course, you can always find my written work over at the Dream Shake, our SB Nation main site. And, of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Vader. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Vader. You can find me at Vader underscore H-Town on Twitter and also IG. And as you see, we're joined by uh, somebody that we've actually had on on previous shows. We're joined by Mark Schindler. And before we get into the podcast, I want to let him introduce himself because he's like uh, – he writes across a bunch of different platforms, covering more than just the NBA, also covering the WNBA. So, Mark, why don't you let our, our audience know where they can find all your great work? Well, first off, I appreciate you having me back, man. It's good to be here. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Uh, I cover basketball, like just all basketball over at Dime Up Rocks. Uh, I work for the WNBA right from the main website. Um I work for Cerebro Sports doing, uh, like, kind of consulting and um, just a lot of stuff on the scouting side, um, more on the women's side now. Um, but, yeah, kind of kind of everywhere. Do a lot of stuff for the athletic, too, with covering the NBA. So a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I want to talk a little bit about before we get into, the, you know, the Rocket stuff, of course, is the WNBA part. I, we talked a little bit about this last time you were on. Um, but since then, I mean, the WNBA, just women's basketball overall, it's kind of just blown up since then. And the WNBA is probably getting more coverage than it's you know, gotten in a long time. And, of course, us here in Houston, I know Vader knows this. I mean, we remember when the WNBA first started with the Houston Comets winning the four championships in a row, and it was a huge thing down here in Houston. Of course, unfortunately, uh, Houston doesn't have a WNBA team right now, but I want to ask you first off about just the overall uh, progress of the WNBA as far as popularity and engagement, and what are the chances you think that the WNBA can expand? Because we know one of the biggest issues right now is a lot of good players are getting cut from teams because there's just not enough teams. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to change hopefully soon. Like right now, last year was already a landmark year, and this year, I mean, this is not even just trying to spew corporate bullshit. Like this is sorry, I <laughs> don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but like this is uh, this is a really big season. This is yeah. the we're going to have the most nationally televised games that the the league has ever had. Um, the visibility just keeps growing and growing, and it's so much less about um, you know like not it's not even like putting it on the same quote-unquote level is NBA. It's more just giving it, giving it the same opportunity to get visibility. Yeah. Um, so I think that's been the biggest thing that's changed in my lifetime. I'm, I turned 26 at the end of the month. And, like, so I've been literally alive for the entire time of the WNBA just about. And, like, mm-hmm. um, it's always been on in the background, but just actual visibility and being able to watch it as a casual fan has been really difficult. You know, as somebody who is tapping into my job, like, yeah, I can watch every game, but – just having more and more games accessible to people who maybe don't know that much about the W, I think is really big, especially when you're talking about marketability and just growing, getting people to see personalities and getting to, to learn people. Like I was talking about this with Kelsey Plum the other day, and she's, um, you know, she's been headlining a bunch of Google's commercials for that are including a bunch of the NBA players as well. And like, it's not even, again, it's just about getting like that same kind of opportunity. So I'm very excited about that, especially because the basketball is just awesome. Like the basketball has yeah. been so good. Um, and last thing I want to mention too, because like you said a little bit with, uh, you know, talking about the, the comments, like I don't really get starstruck anymore. It's my job not to, 
You know, I just yeah. I talk to talk to athletes, talk to coaches, execs. Um, I got a chance to interview Cynthia Cooper in like yeah. March, and we talked for like forty five minutes. And that's the most starstruck I've ever been in my life. I was like, <laughs> "That's Cynthia Cooper, dude!" Like, yeah. watching your highlights is insane. Um, but yeah, I, I I think expansion is definitely on the horizon. I don't have a timetable, but um, I think it definitely will happen soon as, as things are kind of continuing to, like you mentioned, the popularity just keeps growing. Mm -hmm. Um, especially among casual people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think people, I mean, because, you know, we have a lot of younger listeners. I don't know if people realize how big of a deal Cynthia Cooper was back in the day. She came in the WNBA. She was already kind of towards the end of her career, but she was still yeah. the best player in the WNBA with her and, you know, Rebecca Lobo and, you know, of course, Cheryl Swoops. So, I mean, when the WNBA first started, like I said, it was huge here in Houston, and it would be great one day to get that back here in Houston. Um, do you one more thing on WNBA? Do you think there's a chance that they expand and add more teams at some point? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's going to happen eventually. I don't have again, like I don't have a timetable on it. Yeah, and I think part of what's going to be interesting to see is how they look to expand rosters too, because I think it's easy to forget for people like the the max that you can have is twelve right now on a roster. So that just really inhibits uh, the ability to have like some more internal development and stuff. Like part of it, like. What's so difficult now, especially with the way that things we talked about with the draft, like if you're not making an immediate impact, it is really hard to stick in the league. Um, yeah. And I think as expansion, uh, both of rosters and uh, just the, the league in general happens, that'll change. But I, again, it's important to remember, too, like this is this is year 27 for the league. It's not like the NBA where it's, you know, past 75 years. It's in a younger yeah. stage. It takes more time. Um, but, yeah, I think we're definitely on that track. I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to like capitalize on like we saw like I, I tuned in to the NCAA like women's game this year yeah. for the first time in a long time. I haven't even been watching like uh, women's college basketball like that. But, you know, there were there were so many stories out and, and narratives, uh, you know, circulating. You know, I wanted to see Caitlin Clark like she, she you know, she was this awesome player that was like dropping 30 and 40 points at will seemingly. And then like the whole Angel Reese thing, and like so there there were some things that happened in college basketball too that I feel like the NBA would be smart to capitalize on right now, just since they have like a lot of like casual uh, women in basketball, like people watching like like myself. I used to watch women's basketball all the time, but that was back when we had like when, like Lashard said when we had the comments, yeah. uh, you know Tina Thompson, Cheryl Swoops, Cynthia Cooper. You know, they, they won like four championships in a row. You know, I I went to games all the time, and then like kind of when they left my interest in that league kind of went down and it, it's kind of fluctuated kind of depending on the star power in the league. Like Diana Taurasi is somebody who like I, I like to watch and Brittany, Brittany Griner. Um, I can, I can name several names, but I think, you know, they have to do probably a better job of like marketing their, their stars. Cause I think that's kind of how the NBA ended up taking off was they, they started like really uh, putting, putting their like marquee players to the forefront. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, and, and that kind of like leads me into my next point, just kind of transitioning back to the NBA and kind of just star players and possible star players. I, I want to get your opinion on the upcoming draft because, of course, you know, here in Houston, the disappointment is still there. It's probably not as bad as it was during the draft lottery, but it's still there that the Rockets have the fourth pick. So I want to get your first, first your thoughts on um, the chances that, Maybe a Scoot Henderson falls beyond three. I don't really see it, but but maybe there's still a small chance that he falls beyond three. And what's kind of your opinion on the Thompson twins? Because I've seen now where it's kind of going back and forth between the brothers on who could possibly go number four. So what's kind of just your overall feel on the, the top four players or even top five players? Because I also saw I've been seeing Cam Whitmore name mentioned. Uh, what's kind of your opinion on who would be available at four and who would you take at the number four pick? Yeah, um, I think – my biggest thing is Houston fans would be just be glad you're not in Detroit. Um, like that was that that's one of the most uh, precipitous yeah. falls we've seen in a while, um, especially given what their season was. I think kind of like you mentioned too, um, I would personally be shocked if Scoot falls past two. Um, I know we're getting the Brandon Miller to number two run up, but this is so much like the Jabari going one storyline yeah. that we continue to get the entire first month before 
the draft last year, and I just kind of think it's horseshit based on on where I'm at and how I've yeah. I view both these guys. Like, no offense to Brandon, I just think it's more, you know, if if Wemby wasn't in this draft, I think Scoot for me, off the top of my head, would go probably three, like top. He would go number one in like the last three or four drafts for me. I think Scoot's oh, wow. that level of prospect. Um, so when we're talking about that, I you know that's that's where it gets hard for me in, in some of the uh, Scoot not going to Charlotte aspect. Um, as for, you know, where Houston's at with four and, and looking at the Thompson twins, I, I think it's, uh, it's in an interesting spot for Houston with me. Cause I think a lot, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you need to kind of draft for fit. You need to make sure that you have stuff around here. But I also like the, to me, this is kind of, I don't want to say last stab at the apple. Like, I think that Houston's still going to be a lottery team next year. I expect them to take a step forward with, you know, with Ime and be probably not a playing team, but like, you know, I think that they will certainly be more competitive than they were this year's points. Um, but I think when you're talking about this team solidifying what their real core is, and that doesn't like, I think it's easy with a content with a, a young team to be like, Oh, well, KJ Martin's part of our core. I'm like, okay, well maybe someday, but like right now your core is Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Alpie, and you're figuring out the rest because your core is what happens when you're a playoff team. It's not about what, your core is when you're, you know, a pretty underwhelming 25-win team. Like, it takes, you know, not to, sorry, that's how that came off unfair to Houston, but I think, like, I get fans' attachment to some of the fringier guys on the roster, but again, like, this is more, you have to figure out the best you can right now. And for me, when I'm looking at the Thompson Twins, like, I have Amen pretty clearly ahead. Like, I think that yeah. I get some of the closeness aspect. I think for, you know, if... um you know, if other teams had um, had the fourth pick, I would get taking Osar there. But I think for me with Amen, um, I get that there is some rawness there. But for me, he's a guy I look at who – I was talking about this with Sam Vecini on Game Theory the other day. And I think one of the things that has changed the most for me in trying to evaluate draft prospects is when you see somebody who does something uh, – all the time that's replicable that you just don't really see that often or you don't really know how to wrap your mind around like you, i just buy into that and with amen that's where i'm at like you just don't see guys his size that have that kind of fluidity and explosiveness in handle um like he's so like the, one of the things that's that i think it's understood like he's so flexible and that sounds like a minor thing but that's what allows him to create some of the crazy and wild angles that he does and I get that there, like there are things that need to polish for sure. Like the, the 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 finishing needs to get better. I think that's incredibly trainable. Like that's something you can really work on. Um, I think the jump shot will always be to a degree a question, but I also like I think that there are some underlying touch indicators, um, and it's just going to take time to to get some of that. You can find really bad shots for anybody in the draft. In the draft, like I. I don't love when people just cherry pick, like, here are the 10 worst shots he took this year. Let's clip them all together. Um, yeah. Point being, like, who on this team are you super confident in getting into the paint, kicking the ball out, and being a, an incredibly good attacking rim? Like, Jalen is capable of doing that, but he's not. I think he's profiled a lot more as being the secondary guy who is the primary scorer. And I think to me, well, it would take time. I think Amon is the pretty clear fit here for, for Houston if he's there at four. Like, I, again, I like Osar, but um, just given what the questions have been about really putting a like the fear of God into a, into a defense, I think that he does that for me. And one thing that I've liked in thinking about him to Houston as well, he's a really good cutter. Like, he sees the court pretty well. Um, he has a really good feel for the game. And I think especially as the team lean more into what Shangun can do, and, like, obviously the quickness and how he makes his reason stuff still needs to develop. But I think part of making that happen is having guys who are really effective cutters and who are effective playing off of, you know, a guy who can draw to like that. So, um, well, I'd get, like, you know, because I, I just automatically, when I when I say Ahmed, I'm sure people are like, oh, well, what's the spacing going to look like if you have yeah. him and Shangri together? And I'm like, yes, but also I think you can, you can kind of work around it. So... Again, to me, it's more just this. They really need to hit with talent on this pick. And I think Ahmed is the pretty clear-cut best available at four, most likely. Uh, I'm glad you brought up about Shangoon, um, something uh, kind of an angle not a lot of people have been talking about, how he would fit with Shangoon. Um, 
as far as I don't want to ask you a little bit about Shangoon. How confident are you in uh, Shang being able to not necessarily build around Shangoon, but you are in a part going to be building your offense around him because he does have some limitations right now, some things that he can improve on. I mean, of course, he's still really young, but I mean, shooting is definitely one of them. He's more he's going to be more of a uh, pick and roll type player, or a player that's going to get the ball down in the post. How confident that you can build around a Shangoon as far as your uh, offense is concerned? Because of course. Everybody likes to try to compare him a little bit to Nikola Jokic, but um, how confident are you in the, the fact that the Rockets can possibly build around him as far as when it comes to their offense? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, the, I mean, I really like him. I loved a lot of what we saw this last year. Um, I think, as I mean, it goes for the entire team, but the defense really needs to improve from him. Um, I think that got swept under the rug a little bit. His effort defensively was pretty rough at times last year. Um, again, that was... The, the whole team is, is Silas kind of lost things, you know, it was like yeah. that. But um, I think with him, I really want to see him continue to improve his scoring craft because I think that just opens up more and more for him as a playmaker. Like, I think that he has a lot in the bag that's interesting as a, as a scorer already. But yeah. I think to get the most out of himself, he really needs to be more willing to take threes. And I think I'm really hopeful that – Ime Udoka can, can coax that out of him and the player development staff does because I believe in the jumper getting better and coming along. And I think it's more just, even if he's not going to make a ton of them, I need him to take them just to make yeah. the defense care. Because like we've seen, like his footwork on drives is really good and really impressive for somebody his size, like really fluid at 6'9", 6'10", with that kind of handle too. Um, and I think that just opens up even more for, for the offense. Like it makes – Defenses have to care a little bit more about his DHOs and care a little bit more about coming out to him. I think part of it, too, is going to be, okay, well, this team's probably going to be better at positioning him. They're not going to play five out all the time. At least I would yeah. hope not um, because I think that's, you know, if he's not getting guarded as an actual option out in the slot, well, don't put him there. Um, but I think a lot's just continuing to put him in situations where he can improve his, his quickness and how he reads things because I think, and this is not meant to, to be a slight, I think that's just more – when I'm thinking about what he can be at the highest level, he really needs to improve his quickness and how he reads things. I think the passes can look really good, and he's very good at at, at, um, at making the pretty pass. But I think the the biggest thing for him to me is going to be how much can he improve on the quickness that he makes his simple passes. Because it, as the scoring continues to improve and defenses care more and more about him, I think – the, the biggest issues we saw with him at times last year as a scorer were if, it, if the defense was like, okay, we're just going to play one up on you, have somebody who sits a little bit in help, but also close enough to their man where it's not really a double team. I think that's where you saw his biggest limitations, where it's like, okay, if we just put somebody with strength on you and you have to score over us and the passing windows are going to be mucked up, I think that's where you saw some of his worst turnovers and some of his more, most difficult shots. So continuing to improve on that aspect, and I think that's very improvable. Um, just based on what he's shown already. I think that's just, you know, especially when you're talking about building more of the offense around him, those are things that I really want to see improve. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I kind of actually want to ask both of y'all this before we move on to the next topic. And I'll kind of start with you, Vader. Um, we just heard Mark say, you know, how much of a talent that Scoot Henderson is that if it wasn't for Wimby, the last three drafts, he would have been number one pick. Are you willing to still trade up for – um, Scoot, knowing that you're going to have to give up some assets, are you fine staying where you are and, and drafting Amin, and knowing that he does have some some skills that will translate to the NBA and can become that league guard that the Rockets have been like looking for since James Harden left? So I, I'll start with you, Vader, and, and I'll move on to you, Mark, and get your opinion on that. As far as would you be willing to still trade up and try to get Scoot, knowing you're going to have to give up some assets to do that? But here's the thing. I hear a lot of people always say they don't want to, like, touch the Brooklyn picks because they could be something. And, um, you know, I get it. I understand. But you're also you're banking on the unknown at that point. Yeah. You know, there is a possibility that the bottom completely falls out in, in Brooklyn. And that turns out to be like a top, you know, three or four pick or whatever. But there's also the possibility that, you know, it's a, like a 10 or 11 or a 12 pick, right? So yeah. um, I think the whole point of Raphael Stone when he made the, the Rockets trade was he, he kept throwing around the the term and the word flexibility. And yeah. so to me, flexibility is uh, it, it's, it's a fluid thing, right? So 
Um, yeah, ideally you'd like to hold on to those picks, but if an opportunity arises where you feel like you can cash those chips in for something mean meaningful, something important, something that is going to be like a cornerstone building piece for your team, I think you have to do it. And so for me, um, if you have evaluated Scoot Henderson and you feel like he is, um, he's better than, than Amin Thompson as far as like, you know, long-term what you want to do with the team, you, you think that there is a significant gap there. I think you have to do what you, you know, you have to exhaust all possibilities um, and explore a trade because you're not just, um, it's not just by about procuring uh, Scoot Henderson. Uh, if you think Scoot Henderson is that guy, then Scoot Henderson also helps you to uh, reach Jalen Green's full potential. Like we always talk about like, floors and, and medians and ceilings and stuff like that. But I feel like if you have a guy like Scoot Henderson and he is, you know, facilitating an offense at a high level, that helps out Jalen Green. So now um, Jalen Green is more likely to be who we think he can be as far as, uh, and, and Mark mentioned this earlier, I see him more as a, a you know, a secondary uh, playmaker on the team, but an yes. elite scorer, right? So if you have a guy who is taking the, the primary responsibilities of, of, you know, getting the team set up, putting guys in the right place, who's also a threat to score himself. Um, I think it just opens up so much for, for a guy like Jalen Green to just be Jalen Green. Um, we saw kind of like when, when Chris Paul went to uh, Phoenix originally, and it, it, it took a lot of burden off of Devin Booker, and then he was able to really start, like, flourishing. We, we, are, we always saw, like, you know, things in Devin Booker, but I think he was really unlocked when he had, when he had Chris Paul next to him. And then, like, when you saw Chris Paul, like, be out for certain games, you know, De Devin Booker was kind of able to slide back into like handle the ball a little, little bit more. And um, I don't know, it just like really, it really, really opened up his game. So to me, like if you can bring a Scoot Henderson in and like I said, and it, this is all like, this, this is all predicated around the fact that you really feel like he's the missing piece or one of the missing pieces that you really need in order to, you know, you know, establish yourself as a legitimate team again. I think you, you, you look into, uh, you know, packaging together, you know, players too. Like we talk about it all the time, Lashar, like a lot of these guys on the team, even though we may like them, aren't going to be here yeah. anyway. Uh, they're not going to be here anyways when we're a playoff team. So um, like why hold on to them when you have an opportunity to put a foundational piece in place? Um, also Jabari Smith Jr. Jabari Smith Jr. is a guy who is going to like benefit from having uh, a school Henderson on the team. And, and, I, and I can say the same thing about Amon Thompson as well, because I do think that, He's going to be, like Mark said, he's going to be able to get into the paint probably at will. He's going to be a paint touch. He's going to be able to kick out to your open guys. But what I'm saying is, since you asked about Scoot Henderson in particular, like if you really feel like Scoot is a is a level above and like he is a guy who you who can potentially even be your best player. And I've said this before, like I feel like um, this team as as comprised right now, um, I'm okay with Jalen Green being the best player on the team. But I think in order for them to be like a – a real legit team. Uh, I think you you need another guy with with his upside or or better, right? Yeah. I think you need another guy who you can be like, this is our franchise player, and it and it, it kind of depends on how you feel about Alperen Shingun. I think this is going to be a big year for him uh, with Emi Adoka, just because um, he does like like Mark said, he he makes all these amazing passes. He's great in the low post, um, but I think his processing is a little slow. Like you'd like to see him catch the ball, make quicker decisions. And we're seeing kind of that like right now in the playoffs with Denver. Like when when Jokic gets the ball, it's like <laughs> he he is he, you know it's it's almost like he's two steps ahead of everybody else. He sees the game yeah. completely different from everyone else. And I think uh, once or if Shingun can get to that level, yeah, you can run an offense through him like full time. He can be uh, the the Shingun hub that that a lot of guys like to talk about. But like in the meantime, um, I would I would do everything within reason. And it may look like an overpay. It may look like an overpay initially, but you really got to yeah. think this guy could be uh, the best player on the team in, in three years, right? So yeah. I would do everything in reason to explore a trade up to number two. And what about you, Mark? I mean, you just you know, told us how how much you think of Scoot Henderson. I mean, are you would you be would you do you think Scoot is good enough to where if you're the Rockets, you know, like Peter just said, anything within reason, um, would you be willing to move assets to try to move up to try to get Scoot? Because like you just said, you don't see him falling past number two. Um, and of course, you know, they're going to want, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a King's ransom, but they're going to want um, some pretty good return to be able to, you know, move up to number two. Do you think Scoot is good enough to where 
is you think he's that much better than Amon to move up from uh, number four to number two and give up the assets the Rockets would have to give up? Yeah, I. Uh, that's a good question. I think Vader hit the nail on the head for me. Like I, I just believe in him that much. I guess it, it depends on what your cutoff point is, but to me, especially when it's um, this early on in, in like a building process, I'm very much like go get your guy if you think yeah. that they're that level. I, when it, when you're talking about like you know later on in the lottery or it's somebody who's maybe not going to have the same level of impact, I don't know if I feel quite the same. But when we're talking about somebody who I think could be completely foundational, and I, I to be fair too, like I think Amin could be that guy. Like I I very much am somebody who's extremely open to Amin's uh, upside and like who he could be, and I think he could be a star player in this league. But I just am that confident. What, what makes Scoot that much more comfortable for me is that he has the baseline already. Like, I think that's what's different. Like, not that Amon doesn't have a, a solid floor, but I think with, with Scoot, like, my floor for him is he's going to be a plus starting point guard. In the league. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about that, then you're just looking at what he can become on top of that. It's hard for me to, to look at that and not be – pretty in on just making that happen if, if it's a possibility. I think a lot would depend on what Charlotte wants and and what all you can offer up, um, especially, too, because, I mean, Charlotte is in even more dire need of getting a foundational player. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely would do what, it, what I could to, to make things shake as, as the Rockets, especially, too, because, like, especially, like, looking at this draft and then the next couple, like, like you mentioned, we're talking about the Brooklyn picks, it's great having all these assets – but trying to actually make it turn into something, I think kind of like we've seen with, with so many teams that we can go back and work on, like even looking at the, the Nets when they had – or not the Nets. When we look at the Celtics with their giant thing of picks, like yeah. we can look now and be like, yes, getting Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum was incredible and you can't turn that down. But when you look at what the rest of that turned out to be, how many of those guys are actually there? Like Romeo how many of those guys are, <laughs> Exactly. Like and that's not to be a slight, but it's just – right. You get a thousand shots at it so you can hit once or twice. And I think for me, this is your opportunity to really hit on the iron. And I, I would definitely look to, to make things shake as much as possible. Can I ask you a question too? Um, sure. How do you feel? How do you feel like Scoot Henderson's fit would be with Lamelo Ball? Because that's one of the things I've been kind of debating with people. Because like in in that scenario, uh, even though Lamelo is a He's a big guard for a point guard, but I don't, I don't know if he's who's, who's guarding the twos. You know what I mean? Like, how does that fit like long term? And I look kind of at um, Sacramento's uh, model before they decided to kind of like change course and, and trade Tyrese Halliburton uh, for Sabonis. But, you know, at one point in time, they had Fox and they had Halliburton and both of those guys are like all star quality uh, point guards. But the fit was kind of biffy. So, like, I kind of see like a similarity, like if, if uh, Charlotte were to draft school Henderson, um, when they already have a Lamelo ball, like is is that something that like works long term, or is that just something like I'm just gonna take the best guy right here and, and figure it out? Uh, I think it's a it's it's a little bit of the latter for me. Like I think uh, I really like Lamelo. I think Lamelo is an incredible player. I like Scoot better as a prospect than I like Lamelo as a prospect. Um, and that's oh. like I could he maybe he doesn't end up paying the same heights, but I think based on what their tape was headed into the draft, that's where I would be at. Um, and I think for me, when you're just looking at Charlotte, like they just need talent, like they need supreme talent. And I think you figure it out from there. Um, is it going to be perfect? Maybe not. But I think a lot of the Lamelo stuff is for me, like just he he needs to grow as an off ball player. He hasn't really been put in a position where he can be a good off ball player. Um, he gets a lot of flack for not being a great one, but also like, OK, I, I just don't really know who's putting him in that position, to be fair. Um, but also, like, I think, like, like you especially too, like, it's just getting the most talented players incredibly important for where they're at right now. Like, when you're talking about kind of like you mentioned with the Kings, and, um, you know, I think, to be fair, like, Keegan definitely got underrated as a prospect headed into the draft, in my opinion. But also, they were comfortable drafting him for fit a little bit. It, well, while also knowing, hey, we can really get this other thing out of him because of how we're going to play. I think with where the Hornets are at right now, like they just need to, to make moves and get talent. So for them, like I personally would not do a trade. Uh, if I'm the Hornets, I would, I would draft Scoot, but um, it all just depends on what's on the table for sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that's kind of the thing it comes down to is what the teams ahead of the Rockets 
are looking for because we know Portland, they're looking to you know try to keep Dame around. The only way they're going to be able to do that is probably by bringing in some other high value players, which you know they can possibly get in a draft. But I don't think that Dame is at the point where he's trying to wait around and you know see if the players are going to develop. I mean, they're definitely at the point where they're trying to possibly trade in on free pick. So it really comes down to Charlotte on whether. They believe that Scoot and LaMelo can play together in the backcourt. And like you said, I mean, it's not like Charlotte has a ton of talent <laughs> to where they can just, you know, pass on a player like Scoot Henderson just because they already have a point guard LaMelo. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about the draft before we move on to free agency, I, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about kind of the back end of the lottery and a little bit beyond the lottery because the Rockets have the number 20 pick. And one name in particular that I just kind of keep seeing popping up lately is Derek Lively. I've seen some people say that he can go high in the draft lottery. I've seen some people that, that still kind of have questions about him. Of course, we just saw the video in the, you know, kind of an open gym where he was getting up some threes and he made like 14 threes in a row, which, you know, we always, it's kind of hard to always evaluate that because it's not a real live game and not even a really a hard practice. It's just kind of somebody shooting. But what's kind of your opinion on Derek Lively and, and some of the players that are maybe a little bit closer to that number? know 15 to 20 range to where the Rockets could again possibly move up a little bit if they find a player that they um that they really like like for instance like they traded into it uh, get Alper and Shangoon um what are some of the players around that 15 20 range that you're looking at and what's kind of your opinion of Derek Lively yeah I really like Lively he's somebody who really improved as the season went on like he was somebody in the first you know before ACC play started and probably the first couple of weeks of ACC play. He looked like a guy who wasn't ready to go one and done, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then as the season wore on, his footwork and just positioning in, in, in defensive coverages really improved. And that was a big part of, of Duke's same turnaround, probably a little bit far, but they they really figured things out as the season went on. He was a big part of that. Um, his size is like just something that you can't really account for. I mean, he... Uh, it's not even just blocking shots. It's the alteration and deterrence because of his size and being in the right places and being really mobile. Um, I think that there are still going to be some things to figure out. Like he is not a good post defender. It's going to take time. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that matters as much as some people make it out to be. Like we always get the, whenever we're talking about a, a seven footer in the draft, people are like, Oh, well, how can you defend Noel Embiid and Nikola Jokic? And I'm like, well, nobody really can. So I don't know yeah. why it has to become <laughs> a sticking point. Um, I think he probably goes higher than 20 would be my assumption uh, based on everything I've heard. His pro day is amongst one of the best that's happened. Um, and I mean, just his workouts with teams have been really good as well, too. I think to be fair too, the, the offensive questions are a lot bigger than they often get made out to be. Um, you can look at his efficiency and finishing numbers and they're really impressive, but that's also noting if he wasn't dunking, the ball was, it, there was a, it was pretty questionable what was happening. And I think that just speaks to, like, there's some really interesting stuff with him as, uh, you know, he could catch the ball uh, off the roll, make a solid kick to the corner. Like, that stuff looks okay. I think that he, he improved on some of that. But he's really limited offensively right now. So I do think the, um, like, there would have to be some real improvements in – what he is as an offensive player for him to, to hit the higher levels, but the defensive baseline is really strong and, and just what that can continue to be is really strong. So for me, I don't, I don't mind at all, especially for this team. Like, yeah, you'd have some clunkiness in trying to figure out how to like, I could, could me and Shane, you never really play together. I mean, that's something you'd want to experiment with, but mainly I think like if you just add him and you say, Hey, we have this guy who can play 15 to 20 minutes. Like the goal is for him to be a rotation center and, um, he's mobile and there's some room for him to grow offensively. And especially with what the guard room could potentially be after this draft, I'd really be interested in that if he's available at 20 for the Rockets. Yeah, because we talk so much about we needed a lob threat. And uh, for some reason, people thought that Bruno Fernando was going to be a lob threat <laughs> for us. And uh, I was oh, like, have y'all watched Bruno times. Fernando? No, this is like, that's not really like <laughs> what he excels at. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, like I think uh, – one of the things uh, Yudoka mentioned was uh, adding a different type of center um, other, you know, other than Alperin Shingun. And so this is like, this would be like a perfect guy for me. Um, you know, he is actually a lob threat. Uh, he's a guy who's probably going to block a lot of shots for you or at least be a deterrent down there. And uh, that's something that this team did, didn't have last year. And we haven't really had in a while. So it, it would be nice to 
just kind of have that again. We we don't really know um, what our guards can do, and it, you know, James Harden used to feast on like that that pick and roll with with Clint Capella, and he just throw it up yeah. there. And you know, some teams got really good at taking that away, but you know, that's something that we haven't even been able to explore with like Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green. Like, I, I don't even know if they can if they can make that pass because mm-hmm. we haven't had a guy yeah. that can catch it. You know, I, they throw pretty good lobs to KJ Martin. So yeah, it, it would be fun. I, I'd love to have Lively. I do not think he's going to be there at twenty now. Um, I kind of didn't think he was going to be there at twenty in the first place because he's really the only guy that archetype in this draft that's like worth you know worth going in the first round anyway. So yeah. I, I kind of thought somebody would probably um, take him before twenty, but now I'm, after the after the viral uh, you know three point shooting, uh, I, I I wouldn't I would bet money that he he'll probably go before that. I think the Rockets might have to move up if they if they want to like actually bring him in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, kind of transitioning, you mentioned James Harden there, kind of the elephant in the room for the Rockets. I, I want to ask Mark up about that when it comes to free agency. Uh, if you're the Rockets, if you're running the Rockets, would you try to go for the home run and bring it in players like uh, James Harden, or even I've heard some people talk about Fred VanVleet, uh, some of the more higher end. Um, free agents or would you be more uh, cautious when it comes to free agency, even though you do have, uh, you know, 60 million plus in cap room space and go with players like a Josh Hart or a Gary Trent Jr. or a Seth Curry, uh, more, you know, taking the, the slower um, pace when it comes to bringing in free agents so that you're not tying up a lot of money in older free agents that may not even get you to the point where you're trying to get to in uh, two or three years. Yeah, I think, uh, it's a good question. Um, Harden, I'm probably, I'm probably not as in on Harden to Houston, yeah. just based on where the team's at right now. Like, I think it's interesting, but also, I, I like, I mean, it's tough. I like, I think you could do a lot of things that are really helpful to to the young group right now, and I get what Houston. I mean, what what he means to Houston too. So I don't want to discount that, but at the same token. I think I would rather sign Fred Van Vliet right now, to be honest. Like I, and that's like Harden is a better player. I think that he will be for the next year or so. We'll see how he continues to go, but I think you're getting Fred for probably a little bit less. I like what he brings defensively, and I also think just his fit in general makes sense on on the team for me. Like somebody who he's not like the he's he's like the optimal combo guard, but he really improved as as somebody who can read the court and be a pick and roll. Not even picking on just a playmaker in general the last year or so. I think getting him with Shangu could be really fun too, though, because he's such a good shooter. He can really move without the ball. Um, yeah. It gets kind of undersold. Like, he improved so much as a playmaker in in Toronto without really being a pick and roll guy. Like, they don't really run a lot of pick and roll. It's a ton of dribble drive. Like, they do a lot of stuff in just trying to um, overwhelm with angles and, and, and be big. And I think getting to play in. Uh, I don't know what to think of what the um, what the offense is going to look like, especially with you know, like we've seen what Eme can do as a coach, but this is a very different roster from Boston. Yeah. So I think it's just going to look different. But um, for me, like I think if you can sell Fred VanVleet on the idea of hey, come in be the vet slash star who helps this team ascend to the next level. Like I talked about this, not to keep bringing up the same pod, but talking about you know me and Sam. On game theory, talked a ton about how important Paul Millsap was to the Denver Nuggets, and while he didn't end up being part of the team that makes it to the to the finals, they don't get there without him signing and helping them kind of improve the floor of the team. And I think if you can sell Fred on being that guy, and and also give him the amount of money that he wants, like I I would really like that for the team to be honest. Especially if we're talking about like Scoot isn't on the table, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, and also t- talking a little bit about some of the other free agents. Of course, we know players like we were just talking a little bit about somebody that the Rockets need to bring behind Shangoon because um, they definitely need a backup. They really haven't had a legitimate backup in a long time. They were playing yeah. with Bruno Fernando, Frank Kaminsky. I mean, even Boban was getting minutes at backup center. Um, so they really haven't had a really a good backup center. There are some good backup centers um, uh, in the free agent you know, class coming up. You have 
Jakob Pertl, who actually started some for Toronto. Um, you have players like Brooke Lopez. I don't know, even at this stage of his career, as good of a season as I don't know if he's willing to be a backup at this point. He may be looking to be more like a starter, but you also have players like Nas Reed. Um, so do you think any of those players would be a good fit for the Rockets? Because let's say they don't get Derek Lively. They're definitely going to need somebody that can come in and back up Alperen Shangun, who's gotten a lot better as far as when it comes to getting in foul trouble, but he's still something he struggles with a little bit as far as trying to stay on the court. Um, do you think any of those players would be a good fit or maybe another backup center that the Rockets could possibly bring in? Yeah, I think uh, based on all indications, it seems like Pirtle's going to re-sign in Toronto. Um, I think he's pretty much established himself as a starter, so I, I doubt that he comes to Houston. Um, but then Nas Reed would be really interesting because I think it, it would be tough because I think in some ways you're – like he, he brings a different dynamic, but – when you're like, and the, the idea of bringing in Lively is really fun because I think that's just such a different dynamic from Shane. Yeah. And I think Nas brings a lot of the same ideas. Like somebody who can, he's not the same level of playmaker, but he can make really solid reads, and he's a he's a quality DHO big, really good facing up. Obviously, brings more as a shooter right now. Um, really improved defensively over the last year too, in my opinion. But I do think you start getting into some a little bit more sticky situations when you're talking about some of the limitations the team has defensively. Yeah. Um, because, like, again, like, I think Nas can do good things, but then you're kind of pigeonholing yourself a little bit into what the team is going to run and how they can do things defensively when you have those as your two primary bigs. Um, but also, I think just having that talent will be really exciting. Um, yeah. And just having, like, having good bigs who can really make the defense care is so important for opening up your guards and opening up your wings and having things – available for the rest of the offense. So, I mean, if, if he's willing to sign, what I, I, I'm just interested to see what the final number ends up being for him because I really don't have a, any kind of indication so far. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I guess that's kind of the biggest thing because we know with the Rockets how they've been the last few years that they're probably going to have to overplay, overpay for some of these players um, because, of, you know, they're going to have a lot of other options and probably even better winning situations they can possibly go to. So, I think players are going to know that and they're going to try to get the Rockets to overpay because they know it's going to be a little bit harder for the Rockets to bring in players. Um, and kind of just talking to that, you talk to a lot of agents, you talk to a, a lot of, you know, team representatives and you, you know, cover the NBA as a whole. What's kind of been the perception of the Rockets, you know, the last few years? And what do you think the perception of them now, you know, bringing in Ime Odoko? Um, do you think that that's you know starting to improve and that you know that the Rockets are getting a little bit better reputation because we know you know definitely us being in here in Houston, we hear it a lot that the Rockets reputation around the league hasn't been really good the last couple of years. Yeah, um, you know Sam and I talked about it on the pod too. I think uh, it's like obviously the reputation hasn't been great. I don't think it's as bad as um, Twitter likes to make it out to be. Yeah. Um, like I think what's really tough too. Um, the teams that have the most public laundry are the ones who get shit on the most. But I think yeah. what's so difficult is that, uh, and this is not meant to just sound like reductionist or, uh, or um, like nihilistic, but a lot of teams have uh, not great stuff. Um, not always like criminal, but I think, yeah. and that, I don't mean just in, just in general, but like, um, if, if things start going badly for a team, things will leak out. Um, like, I think that that's just kind of the natural order of things. Uh, if this team had won 10 more games this year, I don't think you get nearly the amount of bad press as they did. And to be fair, like, I think that there are legitimate questions. Like, the stuff with Raphael Stone was legitimately a little bit concerning. Like, that's the stuff that really raises your eyebrows. Like, this dude is sitting in on coaches' meetings like that. That's the kind of stuff you hear, like, that's not typical, that's not very normal, and that's the stuff that bothers me, too, as somebody who is, like, more on the draft and scouting side and, and like, really appreciates the coaching aspect because, like, yeah, buddy, like, why are you there? That's not that's not your thing. So, like, because <laughs> yeah. I think I've been uh, – I've tried to be a lot more sympathetic to Steven Silas over the last year or so. Like, I get a lot of the, the questions. I don't think that he did a great job, but also I think it's been made pretty clear that – it, it wasn't fully up to him to make some of these things shake. Um, yeah. I think to me, it's just like, yeah, has Houston's reputation been tarnished a little bit for sure? But um, I think that can change quite a bit in the next year or two. Um, I don't really know what to think about the 
like I just don't have I don't like how any of the stuff with with Ime went down in, in Boston either from, yeah. from Boston's perspective or from his um, I didn't really love the opening presser to be honest um, just because I I struggle with when people like you know do like I, I what I mean what else is he gonna do and not claim that what he did but you know it it's it's just a hard situation to really have a pulse on all around or, yeah. or to talk about without really being fully in the know on it. Um, so I hope that all that is situated and goes well. But um, yeah, I mean, to, to, I think that fully answers. Like, I, I don't think that Houston's reputation is as bad as it has been made out to be. The only thing I will say, like, people really don't like Tillman Fertitta. Um, <laughs> I don't particularly like Tillman Fertitta. I don't think very many people do. But yeah. as long as he's paying the checks, I don't think it's going to matter too much. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's ultimately come down to with all these NBA owners is loans <laughs> yeah. the loans the check clears, then I think they can get past a lot of stuff as we have found out over the years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we finish up the show, I actually want to ask both of y'all because, um, of course, the NBA playoffs are still going on. I mean, Denver's been sitting around waiting for a long time now. Yeah, they just you know they knocked off the Lakers in four games, and but surprisingly, we still got the Boston Miami series going on. Um, Vader, I want to start with you. Kind of, what's been your opinion of? You know, the last several days, especially with the Boston Miami, and do you think you give Boston any chance of actually pulling this off and being the first team ever to come back down from 3-0? Okay, yeah, I switched course because I, I was making fun of Boston on, my, on the timeline a lot uh, <laughs> because, I mean, like, they, on paper, like, they're a better team than they were last year. They, add, they added Malcolm Brogdon, right? Uh, they played the same Miami team in the playoffs last year, and they beat them in seven games, and that was – uh, they didn't have Marcus Smart for a game. I don't think they had um, – I think Al Horford might have missed a game or whatever. And like I said, they didn't have Malcolm Brogdon. Like, this is supposed to be a better team, and they were completely getting outclassed by like, – and no disrespect to the Miami Heat because these guys have been, like, amazing up to this point. But, like, I didn't know who Gabe Vincent was until he went to the Miami Heat. You know, I had yeah. heard of Taylor Martin just because I knew he had a twin, and they were over in Charlotte, I, I believe. Um, Max Struess, never heard of that dude before in my life till he was with the Miami Heat, uh, you know, like the, when he popped on the scene. Uh, Duncan Robinson, never heard of him till he was with the Miami Heat, and then he signed that big contract. So, like, they are comp- literally, like, a lot of these guys who are, you know, like, outplaying Jason Tatum and outplaying Jalen Brown were, were, like, undrafted dudes. And I'm like, how is this happening? Like, how can y'all allow this to happen? And so, um, but having said all that, uh, and it, and I thought it was kind of funny when they pulled the whole like don't let us get one thing. And I was like, dude, y'all, y'all are down three, you know, three games. You know, nobody's yeah. ever come back from that. But now, you know, it's a three-two series, and like I said, like Boston on paper is probably the deepest team in the NBA, in, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people share that opinion. And so, like, if 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 there was a a certain uh, situation where this could happen, if there was a such thing as a perfect storm. I think that this is it because if if Boston plays their best game and if Miami plays their best game, Boston is going to win. And so if you just look at it like now it's a two game series, can Boston win two games in a row? Can they can they win on the road tonight and then can they go home and win a game? And I think like if you if you if you take everything, if you take history out of it and you ask anybody, can Boston win two games in a row? Can they win? Uh, one game on the road, this will be the hardest one probably. And then can they go home and defend their home court and win a game? Like, I, it's possible. It's not, It's unlikely. It's improbable. It's, yeah. you know, I think only three series in the history of, of, of the league have ever gone from, you know, um, from an 3 deficit to being able to force a game seven. And yeah. I think that Boston Celtics, the Boston Celtics can do it, man. Like, I, I, I really do think that. And the only caveat I'm going to give to why this won't happen it's Jimmy Butler. <laughs> if, if Jimmy Butler um, has a playoff Jimmy Butler game, then I think they ended, you know, they ended in game six. But if they, if they, for some reason, um, do not win this game and they let Boston get back to Boston, I think, you know, it's, it's a toss up at that point. So yeah. that's, that's just how I feel. I think, I think Boston can be the first team to do it. If that's what you're asking, do I think they will do it? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm ready to like, you know, make a bet in Vegas on it because I like yeah. my money in my pocket. But like, I think like I, this is probably the first time ever, you know, other than when I'm rooting for the Rockets and I'm like, man, we can come back, <laughs> even though like yeah. that's that's just Homer, you know, Homerism talking right there. But as far as as an outsider looking in, this is probably the first series that I've ever seen a team 
go down three games, and then I'm like, I still think that the team that's down can win. Yeah. And, I mean, Mark, I mean, I want to definitely get your opinion on it. Of course, I mean, we saw Boston do it in another sport in baseball, but, you know, we've never seen it before in basketball. So what's kind of been your overall opinion of this this series, which has been a really weird series? I mean, Boston, I mean, I know I know their coach said that they, they just look at it just had a bad week. But, I mean, they were down 3-0, and now it seems like they're right back in the series. So do you think they have a chance to actually be the first team to come back down 0-3? Uh, I think they have a chance, but I still think the Heat would have won Game Five if they didn't miss Game Vincent. Uh, you yeah. know, obviously, that that is he back? You know, is he back, Mark? I am not sure because if he's not back, course, that's a, that's a yeah. huge loss for them. Yeah, if he's not back, then I definitely have more questions because I think you know Kevin Love really hasn't been able to be a factor um, yeah. as the series has gone on. Kyle Lowry looked like he was thirty-seven this last game. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, like I, like you mentioned, I think Jimmy hasn't exactly played his best the last few games, even while still playing okay. But like they need him to be the best player in the playoffs again. Like that's why they were playing so well. I, I would still pick the Heat to win this, but man, <laughs> it, the problem is when you open up a door like that. Like it, yeah. it sounds cliche, but I, I don't know. Like you, you go from down 0-3, that team just looked like, oh, we're getting the when is. <laughs> When is one of the Jays getting split? You know, when is this happening? Yeah. When is the, and now we're like, oh wow, what happens to Miami now? And so, uh, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a great feel on what's going to happen. All I know is that I, I hope that Miami is able to close the door because that is going to be wild if they don't. They better win tonight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of crazy just thinking about it and <laughs> how this series has gone, and all of a sudden now you're looking at you going to a, a game seven. It's just. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing, and now Denver is just sitting there waiting. They, they'll they'll be off until next Thursday, regardless. So it, it's it's been a really interesting you know playoff so far, even with you know the quote unquote big time teams not being there anymore. Um, as basketball fans, I mean, especially me, I appreciate just watching good basketball no matter who it is. So uh, it definitely be interesting what happens tonight. Uh, before we wrap up the show, Mark, again, please let everybody know where you can find all your great content. Yeah, well, first off, appreciate you guys having me. It was fun. Um, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Uh, I have a Patreon as well. If, uh, if any of y'all listen to Jordan and, uh, and have a means of support, that helps me go a, a long way, and especially with moving right now. But yeah, uh, I'll have plenty of stuff coming out the next couple of days. Yeah, man, absolutely. And as usual, man, continue the great work. Like I said, we've been talking for a few years now, so it's just good to see you take off and appreciate that, man. over Likewise. all the different platforms. Yeah, man. So I definitely appreciate you coming on. Of course, I'll have you back on as usual. <laughs> um, definitely back on the show. And of course, uh, Vader, my co-host, I appreciate you as usual. Always, man. See you next week. <laughs> all right. Absolutely, man. That's going to do it for today's show. As usual, we appreciate everybody that supports the YouTube, the new YouTube channel. Appreciate everybody that listens to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we appreciate the likes. Uh, definitely make sure you subscribe to the new channel. We're going to have a lot more great content coming up. Uh, definitely going to be covering the press conference after the draft that's coming up for the Rockets. Uh, more great guests, more draft coverage. So make sure you uh, check us out for the next episode of Rockets Field Podcast, and we will check you later.